welcome to Neuro Podcasters, a neurology podcast created for medical students. To get the most out of this episode, you can download the supplementary case notes which are available on Vital. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, I'm joined by Dr. Gadiri Sani, who is a consultant neurologist who has a special interest in headache. Thanks for helping us out today. So uh, what I'd like to do is start by reading you a case of a patient that I recently saw in one of the headache clinics here at the hospital. Sure. Um, I'll go through the history and the examination, and then I'll just ask you a few questions about how you would approach this sort of case. Okay. So we've got a 32-year-old right-handed gentleman. So he was referred with a history of headache, and he came via an A&E hot clinic. He tells you he's had episodic headaches present over the last week, and they're occurring every evening. Headaches typically last about 30 minutes to 40 minutes, and they can occur a couple of times during the night. They affect just the left side of his head, and he said the location is behind his left eye. He says it's 10 out of 10 in severity and describes it as being unbearable. And despite taking paracetamol, ibuprofen and codeine, he has no relief. He has noticed that associated with the headaches, he can get tearing of his eye, it can look bloodshot, and he's also noticed some drooping of the eyelid. He also feels that his sinuses are blocked. During the headaches, he'll pace around the bedroom, he just can't sit still, and he's injured his head on the previous evening as he was hitting it repeatedly against the wardrobe. There's no nausea, photosensitivity or any fever, and he hasn't lost consciousness. Now, interestingly, he did have similar headaches two years ago. Uh, These lasted for a few weeks and then disappeared completely, so he didn't actually seek medical help for them. And as I said, he attended A&E and he was discharged home following some investigations which I can go through with you. So medically, he's otherwise well. His history of depression, for which he takes sertraline 20 milligrams once a day. He's a smoker, five-pack year history, drinks moderate alcohol, and he works full-time as a mechanic. Now, I won't go through the full exam, but it's there on the clerking sheet, and essentially his neurological exam is normal, and again, he's afebrile, normotensive. And the investigations that were done, so he's had normal blood work, um, he had a CT scan of his head, which was normal, and he had a CT angio of his head and neck vessels that, again, was normal. Okay, so really the main focus of today is to talk about the primary headache syndromes and how you distinguish. But just to get you starting off, really, um, from your point of view, seeing this sort of patient, are you happy that the CT head and CT angio have been done? Yes. So um, any young patient who has nocturnal headaches, you want to rule out a secondary uh, headache type. If there were any raised ICP features, you would worry and definitely it's reassuring that this patient has had normal CT and CT angiogram. As you said, uh, this uh, particular case does sound like that it's more like a primary headache disorder. Again, another thing which points toward that is that the patient has already had similar symptoms in the past a couple of years ago, uh, and if it was anything more sinister, the headaches wouldn't have subsided completely for a couple of years before coming back. You would expect a more progressive uh, headache if it was a sinister raised ICP secondary type headache. So I'm quite reassured that the investigations are normal and the history is suggestive of a primary headache disorder. So the primary headache disorders can be divided into three main categories, uh, one being uh, migraine and chronic migraine type headaches, the other being uh, trigeminal autonomic cephalalgias, and then the other being the smaller category of other headache types, including things like primary stabbing headache, primary exertional orgasmic headaches, so on and so forth. This patient, based on the history, has a trigeminal autonomic cephalalgia. 
Now, trigeminal autonomic aphalgia is a type of headache that affects the trigeminal nerve distribution, and it's associated with autonomic features, some of which you've already described in your history. These headaches are usually unilateral, and they are usually side-locked, meaning that they don't, uh, they usually start on one side and stay on one side. It's very rare or unheard of for them to start in the contralateral side. So, for example, if the patient complains of a right-sided headache, it will always be right-sided. The autonomic features that we see with these kind of headaches include lacrimation, conjunctival injection, and nasal congestion, but there could be other autonomic features like ptosis or puffiness around the eye. So these are all the things that we would expect to be there in the history to make a diagnosis of trigeminal autonomic cephalalgia, which is most likely the case in this gentleman. That's great. So you, you mentioned about migraine being there and then these being the sort of trigeminal autonomic cephalalgia. So what, what's more common in your practice? So migraines are definitely the commonest headache type that you're going to see. Trigeminal autonomic cephalalgia, in particular in cluster headaches, is about one in a thousand that we see in our, uh, in our cases. Now, um, just to remind you that trigeminal autonomic cephalalgias are then subdivided into cluster headaches, which is most likely what this gentleman has. But you also get other trigeminal autonomic aphalgias, such as um, hemicrania, which can be paroxysmal hemicrania or hemicrania continua, as well as the rarer types of headaches, uh, such as sunct and suna, which we probably don't need to go into today because they are very rare and you probably won't be able to, well, okay. you won't be able to seeing them. And I understand that the way you would distinguish between maybe the hemicranias and cluster headache is on the basis of how how frequent and how long the attacks last for. So are you able just to tell us about the the timings that you would ask about in, yes. the, in this history? So with um, cluster headaches, uh, you normally get them anywhere uh, from about um, 30 minutes up to two hours. Um, but usually, uh, on, an, uh, on average, you only get about one or two attacks per day. And usually, they are nocturnal in the middle of the night. Uh, with the hemicranias, if it's hemicrania continua, that is like a continuous pain with intermittent exacerbations. With Sankt and Suna, which as I said are the rarer forms, you can get up to 100 attacks per day, but they are only very short-lasting attacks, mm. as I would say in the name as well. Now, with, um, with cluster headache, it's important to remember, as I said, these attacks are usually nocturnal, so uh, they're also called alarm clock headaches because you could literally set your time by them. So usually the patients have them around a couple of hours after going to bed or, or around the same time early hours of the morning, so about 4 or 5 o'clock they seem to come. So the patients say they happen exactly at the same time every night and they can go, for, go on for several weeks and then again none for months or years and then they, come, they can happen usually around the same season. So let's say spring. So every spring they get them for a couple of weeks, then none again until next spring when they come back again. And, and this, this chap, when you ask him about it, he says it's very severe pain, 10 out of 10 for him. He says it's almost unbearable and he paces around and is very agitated. That's right. Is that in keeping with other patients you've seen 
yes. cluster headache. So that is very typical for cluster headache patients. During the attack, the patient is agitated. They're banging. They literally say they're banging their head against the wall. They are at high risk of suicide because the um, the headache severity is one of the most severe conditions. Unlike migraines where patients would prefer to stay still and not move, these patients cannot stay still. They're constantly moving, rocking, holding their head. So that is one of the distinguishing features about the uh, cluster headaches and trigeminal autonomic aphalgias. Okay. Right, so you're seeing this chap in clinic, and he hasn't actually got a headache at the moment, mm-hmm. but he, he's very desperate to discuss with you about treatment options. Yes. So are there treatment options for this condition, and how do you how do you go about initiating treatment? Sure, yes. So we do have treatments, uh, several different treatment options for um, cluster headaches. So if you concentrate on cluster headaches now, we, uh, have, uh, we divide the treatments into abortive measures, and preventative measures. So the abortive measures are treatments that we use during the acute attack to abort the attack or to make it less severe. These uh, treatment options can be um, high flow oxygen, uh, 15 liters through a non-rebreathing mask, which the patient can have for up to half an hour during the attack. We also have triptan medications, which are specific headache painkillers. The triptans for cluster headaches should be given intranasally or a subcutaneous injection. The tablets would not be sufficient for cluster headaches because they take too long to work. You want something which acts very quickly. So either nasal or subcutaneous triptans. Um, The other painkillers we don't really use very much in cluster headaches because they're not as effective. Then talking about the preventative um, measures. So preventative measures are normally used at the beginning of an attack because we know that these uh, um, headaches then go on for uh, several weeks. Or So that's for patients with episodic um, cluster headache or in patients with chronic cluster headaches. So these are the patients who have continuous headaches every night without uh, a break for a month. So if the break is shorter than a month, then it's a chronic cluster headache. And at that point, we start preventatives as well. Preventative medication include tablets, and the most uh, useful and the most effective tablet is verapamil, which we use at an onset of a cluster attack, and then that continues for at least a couple of months until we know that the cluster is over. Uh, There are other drugs such as lithium, which we don't use very often these days because of the side effect potentials, and other anti-epileptic medications which are now being used in headache disorders such as topiramate and lamotrigine. We also, apart from uh, medication, we have um, nerve blocks. These are um, a combination of a local anesthetic and a steroid, which we can give again at the start of a cluster. Uh, We can either give a greater occipital nerve block which uh, just covers the occiput, uh, the greater occipital nerve running along there. And if that is not sufficient, we can go on to give multiple cranial nerve blocks. And again, these are for patients who either do not respond to the medical management with the tablets or cannot tolerate it, then we consider the nerve blocks. Okay, so so if you were seeing this guy today in clinic, you would talk about 
the acute treatments, you give him a supply, presumably, That's for right. the triptans. Can patients be given a supply of oxygen as well? Yes, uh, so normally we would uh, have to uh, fill in a questionnaire, make sure that the patient is appropriate for oxygen, and we need their consent, because obviously if they're a smoker, if they have a small child, and so on and so forth, it, might, it may not be appropriate for them to have oxygen at home. But once we've got the sufficient information, we can apply for oxygen at home and they keep it. Even during the time when they don't have the clusters, they can have it just in case they start. And obviously it will be there for mm. them to, uh, for when they require it. And, and do you think at, at the moment it's a bit too soon to be considering things like verapamil in this particular case? Would you would you sort of get him back to clinic in a few That's weeks? That's right. So given that the patient is headache free at the moment and the last attack was couple of years ago, we don't know whether this patient is going to again be headache free for a couple of years or not. So I would just uh, follow him up routinely with advice to him that if he does start another cluster, he needs to let me know straight away. And at that point, we can start him on medication. But in the meantime, I will ask the GP to provide him with the abortive measures, including the triptans so that he has them at home just in case he does start a cluster attack. Excellent. Now, just to let you know that although he's had his normal CT head and CT angiogram, with patients with cluster headaches, we always have to do an MRI head. And the reason that we do an MRI head, because although majority of cases of cluster headaches are idiopathic, meaning there is no underlying cause, there are the rare occasions where cluster headaches can be caused by a secondary uh, uh, lesion, such as an MS plaque, or by neurovascular compromise where there is um, a blood vessel causing pressure on the root entry zone at the level of the trigeminal nerve. So those things do need to be ruled out and that needs to be an MRI. So all patients with cluster headaches or trigeminal autonomic aphasia will get an MRI. Okay, so you would be booking that from, the, right. from the clinic as well. So, Lots to, lots to really uh, consolidate and go away and think about there. Is there any tips you would give? So maybe three tips that you would consider to, uh, to someone who's just starting out in neurology or a medical student learning about neurology about how you approach any patient with headache or tips for how you take a history from a patient sure. with headache. Yeah, so uh, number one tip is follow Socrates, which I'm sure you might have heard of, sight, onset, duration, so a full history. It's important to get a full history, and the history should include the Socrates history. So that's number one, learn your Socrates. Number two would be always consider um, secondary headaches. So you want to make sure that you rule out secondary headaches, any raised ICP features. Um, so that's including pulsatile tinnitus or uh, visual obscurations or nocturnal or early morning headaches. And number three would be to learn how to do ophthalmoscopy and fundoscopy. Any headache patient that you see, you have to do a fundoscopy on the patient to make sure they don't have papilledema. And if it's not something that you already know, I would advise that you learn how to do that. Great. Well, thanks very much. And um, I'll just point out as well that there is a website uh, dedicated to uh, furthering understanding about cluster headache and conditions like this. And you can visit that at www.ouchuk.org. Thanks Lovely. very much, Dagir. Thank you very uh, much. Thank you. Thank you. listening. Look out for further episodes coming out in the near future.